If we're not reading the Bible through Jesus and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything uh, the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible's an incoherent text. How can you say, listen to the cries of the poor without looking at what makes them poor? You don't have to believe certain things to be part. The irony is that you can be pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-military, anti-environment, and still say you're pro-life. But people get really uncomfortable. It's like they want to have their religion and they want to have their porn. They want to do both. I don't think any form of Christianity deserves to survive and thrive if it doesn't come to terms with the racism of our past. When we really tell the story of Jesus, we find a God who comes to the point where it has all collapsed. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? It is summer, and what better to do with summertime than focus on getting in shape and getting your health in check. Best way to do that is with Angie Niska at Rise Nutrition, who sponsors all of these wonderful Jesus Never Ran podcasts. You can find her on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That is Rise with a Z. Have you ever wondered why it seems like in the Bible there's this like crazy, angry, vengeful, horrible God And then you see Jesus in the New Testament and you're told that Jesus is God and then he seems so loving and peaceful. Well, I suppose we should talk about that today on Jesus Never Ran. All right, we are going to talk again this week about contradictions, contradictions in faith, contradictions in the Bible, etc. I'm your host, Matt Kinsera. Happy to be with you today. And today we are tackling a big one, which is this idea that At least mostly in the Old Testament, although we also see it in the New Testament, God, at least at times, seems super angry, super vengeful, like pretty tough to deal with. And then we're also taught and told that the Jesus of the New Testament that we all follow, that Jesus is supposed to be in his very nature God, but Jesus is always so peaceful and loving. So the contradiction is kind of a a large picture, 30,000 foot view contradiction of how do we reconcile this angry God of the Old Testament and this loving Jesus of the New Testament, especially when we do hear in the Bible that it says God is love. I was this last weekend out in New York City. It's been the first time I was in New York City for, boy, well over a decade, I'm sure. And I was blessed with the opportunity to go to the monument, the remembrance space of the World Trade Center. And it was really moving and really meaningful, but it brought me back to that moment when we were going through that, when the planes hit the World Trade Center towers, and then shortly afterwards, there was this very real anti-Muslim sentiment that was going around. In the Christian circles that I was in, one of the things I remember pretty specifically is that we were often told that in the Quran, which is the spiritual holy book of Islam, that in the Quran, there are passages in there that encourage Muslim people to hate or do violence to Christian people. And it was kind of being used as this scare tactic. But I remember when I heard that, I was thinking, wait a second, I'm a pretty avid reader of the Bible, 
And I know that in the Old Testament of our spiritual book, ours meaning Christian, our spiritual book, there is some crazy crap in there. And there's so many times in the Old Testament where it says that God told people to do really horrible things, including killing people of other faiths. And so when that was going around in the circles of Christianity at that time around 9-11, I remember thinking, wait a second, guys, we are all in the same boat because both of our books say crazy crap. So that just led me into so many conversations, so much dialogue, and so much reading about this topic. And again, when we look at the Old Testament, we will find spaces where it says that God ordained, told, encouraged the killing of men, women, and children. We are also told about sacrifices that were made to appease this angry God. And then fast forward that all the way into the time of Jesus, the theology, the kind of evangelical modern theology behind this concept is that Jesus took on the wrath that we're all supposed to get. So God's so damn angry that he's supposed to take us down. But thankfully, we've got this Jesus who took our place and God takes out all his wrath on his own son. (laughs) Do you ever, like when you're talking about this stuff, when you say it out loud, do you ever think, man, that sounds crazy when you actually say it out of your mouth. (laughs) I feel that way so often. So we've got this God that's so angry at all humanity, which by the way, he created that he wants to just wipe us all off the face of the planet, which he has done before through a flood. And, but he wants to do it again because we're just so horrible and vile. But he decided that instead of taking his wrath out on us, he could actually take all that wrath out on his own son. Now, here's the deal. Apparently, I'm a better dad than God is because there is simply no way that I am doing that to any of my children. So, now that we're here, now that we see this angry God and we see this all-loving, beautiful Jesus who hangs out with sick people and cures those who are sick and spends time with the ungodly and the undesirables, just love in all its beautiful forms. I mean, how can we reconcile the two of these? There's got to be a way where we can come to terms with the contradiction that shows an angry God and a loving Jesus. All right, like so many issues with Christianity, we have to start by looking at the Bible. So if we have a challenge that has to do with our faith, then we've got to look at the way that we view the Bible. And here's the thing. If we take the evangelical or kind of this modern view of the scriptures that they are perfect without error, inerrant is the word that's often used, if we take that sort of view of things and if everything in the Bible is perfectly true, then we really have no choice but to hang on to this notion of God being very vengeful, very angry, very jealous, just in so many ways horrible. I don't see any way around it. Just have to deal with it. And then there's, I guess, bigger questions that you have to answer. But here's the good news. That is not the one and only way to view the Bible. Not at all. Historically speaking, that's not even the most common view that's been held of the Bible. In some ways, I would say it's even a little bit of a modern take on it. So 
if inerrancy is the way that we choose to look at the Bible, then really what we're doing is we're using the Bible to promote a faith and religion that really focuses more on like right believing, like believing the right things as opposed to right living. And my perspective is that Jesus came to this earth to promote the exact opposite. Jesus came to show us how to live as opposed to what to believe. I love in the intro of this podcast, we have one of my past guests, Kobe Martin, and his quote is that something to the fact that if Jesus was here to give us all the right answers, then we can we just say bad teacher. And that's so true. He obviously wasn't here to help us get the spiritual test correct. Now, let me remind you, this is a huge conversation and in a podcast, unless we wanted to have a 10-hour podcast, (laughs) on this podcast, I should say, we simply don't have the time to really dive into the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about. So we're just going to take a bird's eye view of what another option could be of looking at the Bible. So here we go. Are you ready? The Bible, this is crazy, the Bible was written by real people. Not some sort of superhero people of faith, just by real normal people. People like you, people like me, normal people. That's who wrote the Bible. Now, what these normal people were trying to do is they were trying to, on some level, understand God, just like you, just like me. So real people like us trying to understand God on any level, just like we're doing on this podcast. How did they do that? They did that by creating an understanding of God that was based on their circumstances, their culture, their knowledge of science at the time, the prevalent religions at the time, and everything else that was going around them. So again, normal people trying to understand God, doing it through the context that they had in front of them. Just like, I mean, literally just like what we're trying to do on this podcast. If that was the case... Isn't it possible that their view of God or what they felt about God in that moment or in those times could have been something different than the truth, but still very real, very authentic, and very inspired? Let me give you an example. If something happened in my life and I lost somebody really close to me, maybe I lost my wife or one of my children, one of my tendencies, I guarantee it, one of my tendencies would be to want to blame God. So if that happened in my life and I sat down to write about it, I'm at least somewhat confident that somewhere in that writing, if I was really honest with myself and if I was being truly authentic, that somewhere in that writing, I would blame God. Because if God is all powerful and all knowing and all loving, then why would he take somebody I love from me? You kind of get where I'm going here? Let's take it uh, another step. So say Everything around me is going horrible, right? I lost my job. I went bankrupt. I've got all sorts of health issues. Like one thing after another, things keep going bad. Say that's going on in in my life. I might very well look at that situation and feel like God doesn't like me very much. I might look at that situation and think God is punishing me for some reason. That would be at least somewhat of a logical conclusion, And I would say that that's not much different than what was going on when the Old Testament writers were writing about God. Something would happen in their midst, and then they would write about it and talk about it in the context of whatever it is that they understood. So they won a battle. Oh, great. God is on our side. 
And then they go into another battle. And it's a battle with people who believe different than they believe. And it's a battle with people who don't believe in their God. Well, in their minds, it's not beyond comprehension for them to think, well, God would want us to do this because they don't believe in that God. So obviously, God's favor is on us and we're going to go defeat them. And then if they do defeat those people, the natural assumption is that God was on our side. A bunch of people get wiped out. Well, God was obviously mad at them or upset at them for some reason. Must have been because they're partying too much or having sex the wrong way or something. I mean, look at Job's situation, right? His family gets wiped out. Like, of course, we're all trying to understand God in the context of what we're going through. And so it makes sense that we're going to put him, them, her in every situation that we're discussing or writing about. We do it now and they did it then. All right, now I bet some of you are out there shaking your heads a little bit, getting excited about this concept that maybe we can look at this angry God just a little bit differently, please, right? But inevitably, we come to another scenario that we have to somehow get our minds around because in so many ways, our faith hinges on Jesus' death and resurrection. So let's back up a bit. The... Traditional concept, and traditional in my sense, meaning for my life, the way I learned it, the traditional concept of understanding God is that we have this angry, vengeful God, and we as human beings are sinful and vile and horrible. And because of that, God can't stand us, and he wants to dismiss us. Wait, even worse than that, he wants to destroy us. Wait, even worse than that, he wants to send us to hell. Thank goodness there's a plan in place. The plan, as crazy as it might sound, is that God's perfect son is going to come down here to earth so that God can pour out all that vengeance and wrath on his son, Jesus. Good gracious. <laughs> Just Again, when you say it out of your mouth, it sounds crazy. But that's, that's the thought, right? So if that's not the case, if God's not angry and wrathful, and if God actually loves us and doesn't hate us, well, then what's the point of Jesus? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? And why did Jesus raise from the dead? If it wasn't to get me into heaven, why did that happen? Well, this view of Jesus is not necessarily the only one that's ever been around. It's not even the primary one that has historically been held. There's been other widely accepted thoughts, and I'm going to lay out a little bit of a structure for at least one of those. Again, big picture, not going to go into any detail, but here are the bullet points. We've covered this already, but Jesus came here to earth to show us how to live and not what to believe. Jesus came and he showed us, he showed us what divinity looks like in human form. So what did that divinity look like? Well, let's look at the life of Jesus and then we can discover exactly what that divinity looks like. It looks like loving and caring for those around him. It looks like lifting up those who are oppressed by a really destructive society and really destructive religious system. He showed us the importance of not bowing down to an empire and not bowing down to power. And ultimately, I think in a lot of ways, if we look at Jesus' life, we could say that he showed us that our hope will never be found 
in religion, in politics, or in country. So again, he came down. So divinity in human form showed us how to love and how to care for one another. And then he also showed us how not to bow down to power and not put our hope in politics, country, or religion. Now, number two. So that's bullet point number one, in case you're taking notes and following along. (laughs) Bullet point number two. This godly, loving resistance to these oppressive systems of the time did not go over well with everyone. And guess who they didn't go over well with? Well, the people in power and the people in authority. (laughs) So the top of the Roman government didn't care much for Jesus. The top of the religious system of the time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, didn't care much for Jesus. Why? Because he was directly coming against and standing against their power and their authority. So, of course, they didn't like that. So, what did they do? They did what they always do. They kill people who are against them. That's just the system. And the government and the religious system of the time worked together to do that, right? That's number two. Number three. Okay, we got to get to this rising from the dead part, right? Number three. By rising from the dead, then Jesus showed that love and this loving resistance that it wins. It not only wins, but it wins big. It not only wins big, but it wins forever. Here we are a couple thousand years after Jesus' death and resurrection, still talking about him, still following him, still trying to understand who he was, still having podcasts with his name in it. But where's that Roman government? Oh, yeah, that crumbled just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Where are all the Sadducees and Pharisees right now? Do you ever run into those guys on the street? Probably not because they're not around anymore. So this love and this loving resistance, this divinity and human form that Jesus shows us, it wins. It won, it wins now, and it will win forever in the future. And we can see that by the fact that we're still here talking about Jesus and the systems of his day are no longer around. And that will continue to happen. It's happened throughout history. Powerful religious systems, powerful government systems have risen and they have fallen. And here is the good news. Here's the real good news about the resurrection. This gospel, it actually is good news. And the good news is that it's for everyone. Everyone. So it doesn't matter your religion. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, gender, sexuality, none of it. Like none of it matters. This love that is so powerful that it crumbles empires and defeats evil is the same power that is for you and for me. Everyone gets to be a part of this fantastic love that Jesus showed by coming and living and dying and rising. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with our eternal destination. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with overcoming this horrible, wrathful God. And maybe it had everything to do with showing us how to live while we're here and showing us the wild power of love. In so many ways, like these last, I don't know, eight to 10 years of my life have been this journey back to faith, this journey back home. And what I've discovered along this journey is That if something seems wrong, feels wrong, contradicts what 
at least in my heart, I feel like I know about God as this all loving, beautiful being of the universe. If something like seems against that, it's, it probably is like, maybe it's just some crazy man-made system that we've come to accept that we really don't need to. And in this situation, I mean, so maybe our God isn't so damn angry after all. Maybe there's another lens that we can look through. And maybe the God who is love is actually found perfectly in Jesus. And maybe it's actually our imperfections and our flawed view of God that paints this picture of him being angry, vengeful, horrible, jealous, and whatever things have been painted about God. Maybe the only thing that we need to focus on when we're talking about God is how love always overcomes and how love will never lose, even when it feels like it's caused death. Resurrection is right around the corner. So as we take this journey to try to find faith again after whatever it is that you've lost or whatever it is that you've walked away from, just remember that there's hope, but you won't find that hope in religion. You won't find that hope in your country or in politics. You'll find it in love and you'll find it in Jesus. And you'll find it in the beauty that comes with caring for one another and caring for everything around you. So as we end today, I just want to end with a prayer. It's from the 1500s and simply says, God of love, be in my head and in my understanding. God of love, be in my eyes and in my looking. God of love, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God of love, be in my heart and in my thinking. Oh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned to upcoming episodes. There's some pretty exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. And I'm not just talking about great interviews. Of course, we're going to have great interviews, but we have some exciting collaborations coming out. We have a new project that I hope you're going to be as excited as I am. Just a lot of, boy, a lot of good momentum coming. So make sure you stay tuned. Speaking of great guests, next week, you're not going to want to miss it. We have an activist and the author of Who Stole My Bible? How great of a title is that? Jennifer Butler. She'll be with us next week on the show. Of course, if you want to support this podcast, which I know that you do, please just hit that subscribe or follow button. Be sure to give us a five-star rating. The more of those we get, the better. And of course, write a review if you have a little bit of time. I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, keep walking.